0: Uh, what else to tell you? Oh, the project uh, that I mentioned last week to provide some necessary items for Marines, a particular Marine group in Afghanistan. Uh, some of you uh, didn't get one of these or weren't here last week. I don't have enough for everybody, but I brought enough. If you didn't get one, I'll tell you what the project is. Please help yourself to it uh, before we take leave of one another we have a young marine whose parents are here and uh, and also his young wife. they're in another Bible study and found out from him that these Marines, in the middle of uh, a tough place, lack for certain items that we take for granted, certain hi- personal hygiene items and uh, like wipes you know these these wipes uh, I met with a Navy seal the other day who I married he and his wife some seven eight years ago, and uh, now they have two little beautiful girls. And I asked him, just "Tell me about these wipes. Is it true that the Marines and the soldiers make?" It? He said, "Absolutely. They really they're in places where they get, they just feel dirty, and so these things help them. So some things that we take for granted are of such value to them. So this is a list of things we can contribute. Uh, today is the drop off day, but also Wednesday night." So if you've brought things, you can deposit them uh, in the South Foyer or Room 214 or the Youth Building today. If uh, you still yet would like to bring some of the items listed here, you can bring it Wednesday night, and we will collect it in Room 117, Wednesday night. All that is spelled out. What we're asking for is a check made out to the church for $12.95. That covers the shipment of a box, which we are obtaining from the post office. We will load it with as many items as we could fit. We'll send it. It takes about six weeks to get there. You'll even see the names of these specific Marines who will receive it. So that's a nice touch. If you'd like to include a note, dear Corporal so-and-so, you mean a lot to us. Thank you for serving. We're praying for you. You could do that if you'd like. So anyway, um, that's what that is. Charlie? Thank you. If you would uh, I just don't have that many. I need them for the next class as well. Um, no. Uh, so there's a possibility. If you'd like one, Charlie said he'll give it to you. Uh, I think what i prefer to do is just leave it until later because that let 's just leave it until later and i 'll try to remember to remind you if I forget, then you remind yourself there they are okay, so there 's that uh, project, and sorry for the short notice, but we just received this opportunity it 's sponsored by another iconnect class, but they 've simply invited us to partner with them. Uh, some of you have asked about my son, thank you for for doing that he has he jumped the other he 's in the airborne eighty uh, second he jumped the other day and uh, said just about didn't make that one, landed real hard, uh, and thought he broke his uh tailbone, uh, but uh, anyway, got x-rayed and all the rest, and uh, it wasn't broken, just some kind of who knows what, And but he's doing much better, and he and his wife are leading a, a retreat, a marital retreat now in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Thank you for your tax dollars. He's a chaplain. And that's part of his responsibility to do retreats for, uh, members of his, uh, unit. And so they have 120 couples. These are all tough paratrooper couples and, and, uh, they speak to them about things, marital things there. And that's what he's doing. Spoke to him the other day and he was crying because they're, they had to put their dog asleep. For those of you who are not dog lovers, you don't know what I'm talking about, but, so you just bear with me. But, uh, she had cancer and they did what they could. And I was affected by his tears, but in a way, sort of delighted because I'm glad to see he hasn't become so hardened and cynical and all this kind of stuff that even a guy who jumps out of airplanes, uh, misses his little, little doggy. Lucy, her name was. In fact, he made a video of Lucy's life, put it on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, but, but uh, my wife made me watch it the other day and I <laughs> cried like a baby. Uh, they're getting ready for Afghanistan is where they're, uh, the whole 82nd. At this point, looks like they're going to be going April or May and they're all geared up to do that. So we want to pray for our folks who serve, uh, in the military. What else was I going to? Oh, he got a motorcycle, a big one, the other day, and I felt myself about ready to say, Grant, don't you know those things are dangerous? But then I thought, how do I preach that message to a guy who jumps out of airplanes? (laughs) Just let it go, and what are you going to do? Randy Baby. Thank you, Randy. I owe you thank you for the opportunity to tell me. <laughs> yes uh in the airborne uh eighty second the there are there are levels of leadership training and uh expertise, and one of the levels is jump master and if you're invited to go to jump master school, that means you're the guy on the airplane who tells the guys who inspects all the guys and tells them when to to jump and so uh it's a tough school, uh, it's at Fort Bragg and, uh, and he passed the preliminary the other day and so uh, out of 400 guys, he packed his chute and named, there's about 100 parts on a parachute. You gotta know everyone, the, the leaders will point to it and you have to be able to come up with the name. Anyway, uh, he was, he came, he finished number two out of 400. In fact, some of the other officers who didn't make it got called into the commander's office, closed door session, and they don't speak to you nice over there. You know, they yell at you. <laughs> And and my son said, "Man, I can hear the commander screaming at him." And and the commander said, "I can't believe this! Even the chaplain passed." <laughs> so anyway, that's real good. Even the chaplain. Brother, you know what I'm talking about. As an army ranger, right back there, you know about all this stuff. Anyway, uh. Hey, uh, thank you for praying for Israel. If you want information on a trip we're sponsoring, you're welcome to come. It's in the chapel today at 4 o'clock, and I'll tell you about the trip. It's primarily for those already signed up, but if you're interested in knowing more, come on by, 4 o'clock in the chapel, and I'll give you some information on the trip and what we're going to do and all that kind of stuff. All righty. We are in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, and uh, just a few verses today, Luke 6, verses 12 to 16. Um, well, we'll just start, and then I'll tell you something about this wonderful text. It was at this time that he, and just to make sure we know what's going on, who's the he? Yes, he went off, went off from whom or what? The multitudes. Can you imagine his day? He was rather popular, teaching, healing, just inundated by people. So at a certain point, he went off. He took leave of everyone. He went to the mountain. Which one? Well, we don't know, I think, with precision, somewhere probably around the Sea of Galilee, because all this is taking place in that area at this point. Many elevated areas there, quite beautiful. He went up to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Folks, that blows my mind and reminds me that what he did, I don't do, and need to, and you too. If he, God flesh, found himself with the need and privilege of communing with the Father, in this case all night, how much more you and I? So it requires discipline, and I'm not good at it, so that's why I don't do it as I should. I pray before meals. I pray in the car about things, but to carve out the time to lay all things aside, to get away from it all, says to commune with the Father. I'm not so good at it. And he did it all night. I want to get better at it. You should too. Rule of thumb, if you're thinking about it, you should pray about it. Because if you don't, you're probably going to end up thinking about it too long think about what? Whatever it is, the throes of life occupy our time. Events of the day, events in your own life, family issues, financial issues, health issues, whatever it is, rule of thumb. If you're thinking about it more than twice, you probably ought to pray about it. And so the Lord did this. Now, the fact that he spent all night probably meant he was on the verge of something quite critical and important because we see this in the Scriptures. Before every major decision, he did this. So this was not unusual. This was rather standard operating procedure for the Lord to commune with the Father in this fashion. And all night, because he's on the verge of an important decision, and you'll see what it is now, beginning in verse 13. And when day came, he called his disciples to him. What's a disciple? a learner. That's in fact what the word means, a learner or a follower. Absolutely. It's not a religious term. It was in common parlance. Anyone who held another in esteem and wanted to follow and learn from that one would be called a disciple of that one. It actually was a secular term. It is embraced by the New Testament and put into use in connection with those who follow the Lord. Every Christian is to be a disciple. Don't you agree? In fact, the Great Commission is not to make converts. Did you know that? It's to make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Why? Well, it's wonderful to win someone to the faith, but that doesn't end things. That just begins things. Because there are many who, in fact, have confessed the Lord Jesus, but they're at a very critical time. They need help nurture so as to grow. So some of us are better disciples than others. (laughs) We're better. we, We represent the Lord more effectively than others. But all of us are called to discipleship. In other words, it can't be I accepted the Lord 30 years ago and haven't grown one iota since. No, 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 can't be do that. To be a convert is a one-time event. Did you know that? You just have to be born again. You do not have to be born again and again and again. Uh, the analogy is biological. You're born biologically one time, but that doesn't end things. That begins growth. So, too, spiritually, you're born again one time, but that doesn't end things. <laughs> that begins the process of growth. So uh he called his disciples. So that would be many followers of his. But he chose 12 of them. So now you see from the larger group of his followers, he is focusing He is narrowing in on a smaller group, specifically of 12, out of a larger group of disciples. He's choosing 12, whom he, by the way, named as apostles. So that means, if I'm looking at this correctly, there's a difference between a disciple and an apostle. What this means is every apostle is a disciple, but not every disciple is an apostle, we're going to see that Luke, who's writing, has a specific group of 12 in mind here. Now, folks, the term apostle is also uh, a, a word that was in very common usage. Do you know what that means, apostle? What's an apostle? It's a sent out one, sent out one. Once again, uh, it doesn't have to have a religious connotation. It could be someone under orders with a commission. Now, by this definition, aren't we all apostles? We're all commissioned with a mission to represent the Lord Jesus and to be living proof of a loving God. So in a general sense, I understand this, we're all apostles, but I think you're going to see... Luke uses the term in a more limited, more technical sense here, specifically of twelve in this case. Uh, this must be an important and significant group because the Lord spent all night praying about who to choose before he in fact chose them. so He chose these twelve and they're different than the than the larger group; they became designated leaders. Uh, and representatives of the Lord after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He took these 12 and he really poured out his life into them. In fact, if you read the New Testament, we spend a lot of time looking to the Lord's teaching, as we should, and the record of his miracles and healings, which we should. But do you know he spent just as much time training up the 12? It's kind of subtle. Find a place when they were not with him when he was feeding the multitudes or doing this or doing that they were always there either watching or involved in some fashion and when he retreated from the crowd it was with them you see he met the needs of the multitude but he trained up a few that's the way, and you know why that's a good thing it wasn't the multitudes who were fit to perpetuate the faith so that it came down to us this very day it was these 12 how did they do it they wrote the new testament And that's what distinguishes them from the general group of disciples. You might say in a general sense we're apostles, but nobody here wrote a book of the Bible. You see? We're reading them. We're not writing it. In that sense, now don't hate me because I'm beautiful, but in that sense, I do not believe we have apostles today. In this sense. We do have apostles in the sense of one sent out on... I mean, every missionary is sent out on a mission. You're an apostle if you're sent across the street to embrace a relationship with your next-door neighbor for the glory of God. So so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we don't have apostles in the sense of those who are writing Scripture anymore. I know there's a major religious group who claims to have modern-day apostles today, and so they're always coming up with new revelation, a New Testament... Of the Lord Jesus? No, no, no. You see, the chapter on written scripture ends with the last chapter in Revelation, you see. So anyone who adds to it or detracts from it is in a heap of trouble. So anyway, these were what's, in fact, they were so special, the Lord endowed them with miracle-working power. We read this record, don't we, in the book of Acts. Don't misunderstand. They didn't do miracles for the drama of it all. In fact, the word miracle in the Greek means a testing sign. It attested. It was a sign attesting to something. What? That these common, ordinary, mostly fishermen were endowed with delegated authority from this Jesus to be his representatives on earth. Now, why would people follow these fishermen unless he attested to their authority by giving them miracle-working power? So anyway, they were special. In fact, the Bible says our faith is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. says this in Ephesians 2. Let me read it to you. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2 verses 19 and 20. So you see, having been built on the foundation of the prophets, they wrote the Old Testament and apostles. They wrote the New Testament. So those are two very specialized groups, and you and I are not numbered with them. In fact, not everyone in the Lord's Day was numbered with them. Remember, they were all the disciples, but they were a select group, in this case, 12 apostles who laid the foundation of the faith. And so the text goes on, and we get to verse 13. He called his disciples... To him chose twelve who he named as, uh, apostles. And so does your Bible tell you twelve? It does, does it say eleven or thirteen? It says twelve. Okay. So why, why not eleven? Why not, why not thirteen? Why not a hundred? Why twelve? Twelve tribes of Israel. God bless you, brother. Good to see you. (laughs) Yeah, there's a connection. You see, uh, God chooses Israel, Old Covenant, 12 tribes to represent him. How did they do in representing him? Uh My people don't get high grades. Not good. Does that mean God's plan is foiled? No it means because of the sinfulness and hard-heartedness of my people he takes the opportunity to extend the gospel to use people you people <laughs> i mean that's actually what it says in romans chapter 11 verse 11 paul says i say then they didn't stumble so as to fall did they may it never be he answers his own question but by their transgression can't deny it My people have transgressed. By their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To make them jealous. So God has the nation of Israel who failed, and he's raising up a new people group made up of Jews and Gentiles, the church of Jesus Christ. And so you have this marvelous number of 12. As there were 12 tribes, we have 12 Apostles. So, so we read in 1 Peter, for instance, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race. The very term used of Israel is applied to you, but, and me, those of us who know the Lord Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now get this, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And just to confirm this connection between the 12 tribes, let me quote to you Matthew chapter 19, verses 27, 28. Then Peter said to him, To the Lord, behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Sounds like Peter. huh? What are we going to get out of it? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne. You also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So can you see the connection? That's why I say there are no apostles today. That doesn't mean a person can't take the term. I don't lose too much sleep over it, if by that he means, you know, someone sent forth on a mission. That's legitimate. I, I wouldn't take the term, however, because I think it confuses people. Are you an apostle in the sense that these were? No. No, I'm not sitting on any throne judging the tribes. I didn't write New Testament scripture. Therefore, I wouldn't use the term if he asked me. Your Highness is fine, but... Uh, <laughs> Okay, Or as a lady in Baton Rouge in my church used to call me, your heininess. That's what she used to do. I said, oh, Cajun people, you don't mess with those Cajun people. All right, so verse 14, and now we see the names in the list. Simon, whom we also called Peter. There are four lists of the apostles in the New Testament. One is in Matthew, one is in Mark, one is right here in Luke, and one is in Acts chapter 1. The same names in all of them, but totally, but different order. So none of them are the same, except for this. They all begin with this one, Peter. And they all end with which one? Judas, except for Acts chapter 1. Why is he not mentioned there? He's gone. You see? So it always begins with Peter. Actually, the first four, Peter, James, John, Andrew, are always the first four. Uh, which implies, so it's like you have three groups, four, four, and four to equal 12. Some people think, and I'm one of them, there probably was, um, I guess I can use the term, a bit of a hierarchy, even amongst the 12, you see. So anyway, it begins here with Peter, and he was an interesting guy, wasn't he? He was a real patient guy, wasn't he? <laughs> cut off, remember when he cut off that guy's ear? A little bit, a little bit arrogant. Remember when he said, "You know, Lord, everyone is going to deny you, but not me. You can count on me." Remember that? Holy moly! So that was, that was Peter. Remember when the Lord needed human companionship as he sought divine companionship in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember that? What did Peter do? He went to sleep. So you know what I love about the Bible. It doesn't clean it up. Tells the, Tells the truth. And, Ernest, this is so good because uh guys like you and me can fit in. I mean, Peter was not that hot. Well, then there's Andrew, his brother. He's a fisherman, another fisherman. So you find out these guys were not from Harvard University, were they? They were smelly old fishermen from the Sea of Galilee. They were down to earth common. Guys, you know, they were not the uh a- academic elite, military officers, big, rich folk. They, quite, they were fishermen. Andrew and and his brother uh Peter. There you go. And then it goes on and it says James and John. That's a second set of brothers. They're also brothers. Their dad was Zebedee. They were in a fishing business with Zebedee. They're also fishermen, for crying out loud. Also Galilean fishermen. Do you know how the Lord referred to these guys John and James James and sons of thunder let me tell you that's not a compliment One time they go in some place people did not take kindly to the Lord Jesus the sons of thunder said hey you want us to call down fire upon him just like happened by one of the prophets and the Lord had to put the restraints on him So that's what they are James James he was killed They all were. They were martyred. We don't know exactly how they all came to their end, but we know how this guy came to his end because it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 12. He was killed by Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa killed him. John wrote uh, five New Testament books. He wrote the Gospel of John. Then he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Then what else? He wrote the book of Revelation. A smelly old fisherman. We sit now and read the scriptures, and he wrote five of those. It's perplexing, isn't it? I mean, nobody was seeking these guys. There was no, like, a headhunter going after smelly old Galilean fishermen to be their executives in their new corporation. Interesting, but the Lord Jesus did. Well, then you get uh, these guys, just to show you. These guys, remember they caused a bunch of problems because they said, hey, hey, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? That's yeah, a nice attitude, don't you think? That's who they were. Then you had Philip. He came from Bethsaida, which is the same place that Peter and Andrew came from. A little fishing village, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. You can visit it today. We go there. You know what's there? Nothing. Ruins of what? Of a city cursed by the Lord Jesus. I take people there just to show them. He kept his word. There ain't nothing there today. So that's Beth Seda. And then uh I mean uh that's uh Philip. Then you have a guy named Bartholomew. You know he's also called Nathaniel. And that's the way it wasn't that they had, did more than one name. So it's a little tricky when you study the Bible to figure out who you're talking about. But Bartholomew is uh Nathaniel, and uh he was the he's credited with being the first guy to doubt <laughs> the Lord. Uh he said in John chapter one, uh can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, they're talking about, about this one from, can, from Nazareth. Can anything good? I mean, Nazareth, it was a dinky place, maybe 130 people. Uh, you know, it was like nothing to it for crying out loud. And so that's, that's what his attitude was. Then you have Matthew. He had another name too in the Bible. Would you like to guess that to what Matthew's second name or another name? Levi. It's the same guy. What was his vocation? Who did he collect taxes for? So did that make him popular with the Jews? Oh, my goodness. They hated him. You're collecting money for the government, oppressing us and occupying our land? You, a Jew, have gone over to that side? That's what he was doing. Yeah. He wrote a gospel. You read Matthew, you're reading about what this guy wrote then you have thomas he's also referred to as didymus in one of the other accounts that means twin didymus twin and uh he might have been just a tad bit oh negative how do we refer to him yeah, right. yeah exactly down <laughs> downing thomas is how we remember uh him and then you know, he said, I'm just not going to believe that this Jesus rose from the dead unless I can check it out. Then you have James, the son of Alphaeus. There's lots of Jameses in the Bible. This is a different James than the one we just read about. This is a different one than the brother of the Lord and so on and so forth. This is James. And then you have uh, Simon. He's called a zealot. So the zealots were a kind of a politico-religious party, fanatics. Hated the Romans, the occupiers. Therefore, they got together. Pretty clandestine group. And they swore to kill them. Kill all, all of them you could. They carried special knives in their garments. Sharp hooks. They'd come upon a Roman in a crowd and stab him to death. God chose one of those. <laughs> to, to be honest. He didn't only choose one of those to be on his team. He chose this guy to be on the same team as Matthew, the guy collecting taxes for the Romans, who this guy hated. How'd you like their team meetings? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Then you have Judas, son of James. Uh, In Mark's account, and Matthew's account, he's referred to as Thaddeus. It's the same one, Thaddeus. Why don't they call him Judas? Well, maybe they didn't want him to be confused with another Judas, who's named last. Judas Iscariot, who became, it says right there, a traitor. By the way, Iscariot is not his last name. Um, The Hebrew word for man is Ish, Ish Kariot, meaning man from Kariot. It's a place in Israel. You could actually visit it today. It's simply naming his place. Judas is a man from Kariot. That's what it means. Judas Iscariot. Uh, if he is from Iscariot, that would make him the only Judean in the list of the 12. All the rest would be Galilean. In other words, they're all northerners. He's the only southerner. They're all Yankees. And you got one measly old southerner. And how did he do? I'm just saying. So uh, he was from Judea. He was not only a false disciple and, you know, he was a thief, he not only a traitor, he was a thief. Mary pointed one time, remember, she poured uh, ointment on the Lord's feet and Judas freaked out and said, John 12, verse 6, he said, uh, uh, he objected to it. And the text says this, he said, not that he cared for the poor. Remember, he said this money could be used for the poor. but But because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. He was embezzling the funds. He was the treasurer of the team. He was stealing money from the coffers. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus God? Does God know stuff? How much does God know? And this God man not only knows everything, but did he not spend the whole night in prayer before he made the selection? Didn't he see this coming? Didn't he see Judas would be a traitor and a thief? Why did he choose him? Why is he on the team? Tell me. What do you think? The plan. This is an excellent point. A couple of thoughts Charlie shared are excellent. One, there are wheat and tares. Listen, let me tell you something. You and I should not be so terribly blown away if someone we go to church with lets us down. Or if someone doesn't act Christianly, maybe they ain't. I don't. I mean, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. I mean, there are wheat and tares. We just need to know that. Second, Charlie mentioned this, alluded to it, and he's so right. The Lord gave him ample opportunity to repent, even at the Last Supper. And he does the same for us as well. I think there's another reason why he's on the team. Do you know position doesn't get you close to the Lord, doesn't get you saved? what a position but there's no heart there just cuz you're a minister or this or that or evangelist or mission whatever the thing is or deacon that's a good thing but it doesn't really mean that much if your heart's not right there's nothing automatic there are people who res- who are given certain clerical honors and positions but their heart are not with the lord i think he's also on the team to keep us from worshiping ministers Good night. What if you were a follower of Judas? You'd be let down something fierce, wouldn't you? We should respect ministers, I think so, but not worship ministers. Do you know what happens in some organizations and churches when their key leader departs for whatever reason? So, so too do the people. What are you saying? You're saying you were a follower of a man. Do you know God called all of these people, not for us, to worship them. He called them and us to follow the leader. The only trustworthy leader (laughs) is the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he uses human agents like these people and us to do good things, hopefully, but sometimes we don't do good things. So you have to strike the balance between respect, for sure, but not undue respect. Don't respect ministry people as if they're much different than you. (laughs) Flawed, needy, human, Struggle just like everybody does. Be careful. Respect is one thing. But this deal, you know, the minister said an unkind word. I'm leading, leaving the church. What? Did the head of the church say an unkind word? No. Then where are you going? You follow him. You don't follow the guy standing up in front. Yeah, I mean, any of us. So anyway, Judas is on the team. Now, a couple things. Uh what an ordinary bunch. <laughs> Most of them are fishermen. One's a tax collector. I mean you talk about the lower rung of despised people in society. Many had spotted pasts. A number of character problems, not the least of which was restraint and forbearance. They didn't have some of these guys didn't have any of that. There's pride, there's arrogance, people of quick tempers. Nobody's really well educated. Nobody's a PhD in anything. <laughs> Nobody comes from the elite of society. Nobody's rich and famous. Nobody, nobody. Nobody's a corporate exec. Nobody's, you know, nothing. What's the deal here? I love this. The Lord did extraordinary things through ordinary people. Are you an ordinary person? Don't count yourself out. He can use people who are ordinary. Forget it. You, you may think you're less than ordinary and you may be. You may be weak. You may be flawed. You may be struggling with different things. Don't disqualify yourself from being useful to God. There's nothing to do with marital status. It has nothing to do with uh, uh, your, fine, your stock portfolio. It has nothing to do with where you got your education, if you got educated at all. It all has to do with, oh, God, take me, use me, shape me, mold me. It has to be this way, otherwise we brag. If someone we admire does a good job, then we might say, that person is doing a good job because that person has four PhDs, that person, you know, comes from the wealthiest family in Houston, that person, well, I don't know, whatever. Instead, we just have to say, oh God, that person is doing a good job because you have anointed and supplied and equipped that person to do a good job. So let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Do you feel weak emotionally, physically, whatever the deal is? don't, Don't disqualify yourself. For God has chosen the weak things of the world. Uh, to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. That's the way it is. My mother is an un educated Well, she's 95 now, but she never had a formal education, worked in a factory all her life and knows the Lord Jesus. Interesting. Therefore, she has more insights into life than do a number of those who set themselves up as political or other leaders. They can't see. They surely have great IQs and wonderful background and are oratorically sound and all the rest. And a 95-year-old little Jewish woman who can't hardly walk, who didn't get past seventh or eighth grade in those days, you just didn't do it, um, worked in a factory all her life, knows who the creator of the universe is, knows of her nature stacked up to his, has received his grace to make up for her sin nature, knows where she's going, knows how to live for as long as she has left. Interesting. God uses the weak things, don't you see? And the foolish to shame the wise. Now I want to close with this. Mark gives a parallel account to the selection here of the 12 in Mark chapter 3. And in that account, it says this. He went up on the mountain. Mark chapter 3, and read verses 13 and 14. He went up on the mountain, same story, and summoned those whom he himself wanted and they came to him. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. You have to read this slowly or you miss this. He appointed 12 not to send them out to preach and not to cast out demons, he appointed twelve so that they would be with him. Before service, employment, and the things you think the Lord wants you to do, he wants you to come to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him. What the Lord wants from us more than anything, even as dramatic as casting out demons, what he wants is the relationship. Be with me. I want to be with you. Rather outstanding. You, me, these fishermen, tax gatherers, political radicals, And he appointed 12 that they might be with him. I call this the with him principle. I committed it to memory years and years ago as a new Christian when I first came upon it. And it set me straight. Nobody is called into the ministry as an end in itself. You are not called or commissioned to do anything. Before you see the priority of the call, it's to be with him enjoy him. Talk to him. Know he not only accepts you, he delights in you. Don't let there be barriers between you and he when he has removed the sin barrier. Don't separate yourself. Don't get so busy in a quest to serve him that you don't spend time with him. As someone has said, don't be so Involved in the work of the kingdom that you leave yourself with no time to spend with the king, you see it? He came away from it all. There were a a multitude of needy people, and he said, I must go to the father. I'll tell you what we say. I will burn myself out. Who are you impressing? You're not that important, you know. What did someone say? Unless your input exceeds your outgo, your upkeep will be your downfall. Input. Put the relationship in as a priority. Nobody is called to do these things, to go out and preach, to cast out demons as a freestanding thing only as a byproduct of the relationship. The power source is the relationship. So if you find yourself dragging, as a rule of thumb, when I find myself dragging, lacking enthusiasm, not wanting to show up. By the way, this happens to ministers. I don't know if you knew this. We're just human. We're just a bunch of frail people. We're just, when anyway, when I get that way, it's usually a barometer of the fact that I'm spending more time uh on the work of the kingdom than I am with the king. And The king loves me too much to let that work. The with him principle. He saved you to be with him forever. You are wedded to him regardless of your marital status, married, divorced, single, You are wedded to him. Don't let his love for you be unrequited, meaning not returned. (laughs) He wants to, if I could put it in these terms, romance you and me. The relationship means everything to him. And frankly, not that much to us. It's the external stuff that shows that means a whole lot more. And that's why sometimes all we do in the Christian life can get to be so laborious. We're running on the wrong gas. It's the gas of activity, but not productivity. Because there cannot be productivity if you ignore the with him principle. The difference between you and a follower of Allah is that Allah has not invited you into a with him relationship you don't know what Allah is like. You fear Allah. You only know to bow before Allah. But you don't know Allah's heart, and he doesn't know your heart. And Allah in the Quran has never expressed an interest, to be frank, in your heart. He calls upon you to surrender, and you're surrendering to nothing that you know of. But the Lord Jesus says, I simply want you to surrender to love. I've demonstrated my love for you. I don't want you to surrender to raw power. I want you to surrender to gentleness. Me. Come to me. And he appointed 12 and all the rest of us that they might be with him. Two words, with him. Lord Jesus, thank you for the invitation. It's marvelous to behold We want to take more advantage of it, for that, in fact, will be all that matters throughout eternity. To be with you, might as well take advantage of the privilege beginning now. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. See you later. Here are...